0: My name is Jeremy Lind, I'm the pastor here, and if you're new here, I am too, this is my second week, and uh, I'd love to meet all of you, and especially if you're new here, make sure you come up and say hi afterwards, and uh, we can begin the journey of connecting deeper with God and others here at HCC. Uh, one of the greatest ways to connect is coming up, it's small groups, uh, small groups, if you're new to a small group, if you've never been in one, small groups are groups of Christians that will meet uh, every week or every other week uh, during the fall or the spring or sometime both, and they will read a Christian book or uh, study some Christian material or the Bible and grow deeper in their faith and discuss that together. And so we have a small group selection Sunday. It's September 12th. We're going to watch a movie uh, called Small Group. It's a really well-done, powerful movie uh, that just explains the, uh, the benefit of knowing other brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, getting together throughout the week um, and growing deeper in our faith with others. And so we're going to watch that movie, and then we're going to have the leaders of the small groups come up and share where they meet, when they meet, and what they're studying. And so if we want to join a small group, uh, then we know uh, which one would be a good fit for us. And so that will start fr- uh, That will start at 5.30, September 12th, and we will be meeting, I believe, in the fellowship hall. And so come and, come and join us September 12th. Um, before we begin, I just want to say thank you so much to Beth and the worship team. Uh, thank you for sharing your gift of worship with us. Uh, does it? It's just a joy to worship the Lord and get together uh, with other believers and praise our God. And today we're going to praise God also by reading his word. And we're going to talk about turning the tables, how God brings good from our darkest moments. And we're going to read the story of Joseph. We're going to be starting in Genesis chapter 37. If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Genesis chapter 37. If you're looking for the version that we read from so that you can read it on a mobile device and read word for word, we read from the English Standard Version as well, and I'll have those verses up for you on the screen. And Joseph is an amazing story about how God takes everything that happens for everyone involved and Satan comes against them, he brings difficulty and turmoil and suffering into their lives, but God uses it all for their good. And this idea that God turns the tables on Satan, it comes from Romans chapter 8 verse 28. It says, "And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose." And that's a big claim. Now, you might be sitting there and you might have gone through something way in the past or maybe even right now that is deep suffering and you're wondering, okay, maybe I even saw a little good from that, but, you know, this verse says he works it together for good, meaning in an ultimate sense. Like, how can good come from what I went through or what I'm going through right now? We're going to talk about that. We're going to read this story of Joseph and talk about how God does that. And we've named the series Turning the Tables because that phrase sums up exactly God's plans in this world for our lives and God's plans for our darkest moments. Turning the Tables comes from board games. When board games became really popular hundreds of years ago now, they, uh, you, know, you sit down and you think of board games, battleship or, or chess especially— And you play the game, and you're moving the pieces, and at some point, one person has laid out their plans. They have executed their plans. It's just about checkmate. They're looking at a victory. And then, if the other person were to come back and win, that's where the phrase turning the tables came from because it looks like one person's got all their plans executed, and it's only a matter of moments But then when the other person comes back to win, it's like you took the board and you just flipped it and you turned the table and suddenly that other person is in the situation. That's where we get the phrase turning the tables from is when the person comes back from a dire situation in a board game just like they turn the tables. And that is exactly God's plan for our lives and for the evil that we experience in our lives. Satan hates us and he hates God and he's got a plan to destroy us, to crush us, to separate us from other people and from God. And the Lord loves to take that and flip it around back on Satan and use exactly what Satan meant to destroy us and crush us instead to save us and deliver us. What Satan meant for us to separate us from God, instead, God loves to turn the tables and use that to bring us closer to Him. And God has a plan to bring good for Him, even your darkest moments. And as I mentioned a moment ago, that can seem like a giant claim, right? How can that be true? Well, let's take even the most dire situation. Let's take death. Uh, a few years ago, uh, eight years ago now, I met a guy um, uh, through my last church who was just, just gold. He was a friendly, super friendly, great guy, and we became friends, and he developed a brain tumor. And I remember when I found out, and I remember just kind of the shock, you know, he was only like 36 and uh, it was very disturbing, right? And so we prayed for him, we prayed for him, and God blessed him with, with an extended period of health for, for years and years. But, you know, he'd have to go back in, and we would just continue to pray for him. And, and one day he was having trouble with his balance, and it just happened like that. And he went back in, and the tumor was back, and it spread fairly quickly. And things went down very quickly. And we, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we trusted in the Lord and we put our faith in the Lord. And instead of answering that prayer the way we wanted, we just watched our friend die. And our prayers were not answered the way we expected or, or hoped. And it was extremely difficult to watch. Watching someone die of a brain tumor is absolutely uh, horrible. It's, it's hell on earth. And what good came from that? What good did God do through that? Well, it might have been a little good. You know, maybe the family came together. That's certainly good, but, you know, they came together. Maybe they learned to appreciate each other more, appreciate every day more, but is that ultimate good coming from that situation? Or we had a... uh, you know, some of some of you might have had a situation where you've lost someone close to you, maybe even a child. I know that um, at our last church, we had a six-year-old boy with a congenital heart defect, and you know he'd go in for surgeries, and we prayed for him, and we prayed for him, and his uh, parents were just absolutely incredible people, some of the most faithful people I've ever met in my life, trust in the Lord deeply, and we prayed and we prayed, and uh, one day that prayer wasn't answered, and he died. What good came from that? And, you know, the parents, they started a, a foundation a charity where they help kids in the hospital, uh, blessing them with toys and, and things for these difficult times where they're in the hospital for these extended stays. And, you know, I was talking with the parents after all this, and, you know, we were planning his uh, his celebration of life, and, and the parents said, you know, it's hard, sometimes it's hard to see the good that, you know, God is bringing from it, but we know that he is. And you might be thinking that right now, too. Like, what good could God have brought from that I mean, you know, we got some good things but what about the ultimate good thing where's that and I got to share with those parents I said don't forget about the resurrection of Jesus Christ because we'll experience God turning the tables a lot in this life and we'll see God using Satan's plans against him in this life but at the very direst situation at the, at the worst possible imaginal situation losing a child God has still got good plans for that and we will see them at the resurrection. Jesus will return. And I said to the parents, you know, sometimes you wonder how we'll worship God for an eternity. That's a long time. We're going to sing to the Lord for eternity? I don't understand. That doesn't, I don't even know if I'll want to do that for more than a, a, a day, a week. Right? And I said, don't forget about the resurrection of Jesus Christ because you think about eternity. You think about how we can be faithful to God for an eternity. Adam and Eve, They were faithful to God for like, what, 10 minutes? How are we going to be faithful? I said, the good that God has planned, we will see at the resurrection. Imagine the glory of God that you will see. Imagine the glory of God that you will see when God takes that 43-year-old man and raises him back from the dead. Imagine the glory of God that you will see when God takes your 6-year-old boy and raises him from the dead. And you will see all the plans that Satan had meant to destroy you be turned back on him and instead result in eternal life and glory for God. It won't be hard to worship God for an eternity when you see him raise your child. And so God's got good plans for every single thing in our life, even the things that are yet to be resolved, even the things that won't be resolved, until the resurrection, God will work those for good, for those who love him. And the only way that we won't see those things work for God is if we stop loving him. The only way we won't see that happen is if we turn from him and say I don't believe it. I'm not going to follow him anymore. If we keep our faith in him, then we will see those things. And that's the story about even the even the darkest situations. So that as we're going through this passage, I want to go through even the worst situation, so if you're experiencing something like that and you haven't received resolution, that you know that it's coming and you know how that fits into this story. And this story will be a focus on God using Satan's plans against him in this life. And the characters in this story, they will get to see much of Satan's plans for their lives come undone and used against him in this story and in this life. And so let's begin reading. In Genesis chapter thirty-seven, and we will, well, before actually we do that, I want to put this story into context, if I could. So there's thirty-seven chapters of Genesis, and this story advances God's plan of salvation in so many ways. And so, what is God's plan? I'm going to try to sum up the essentially the Old Testament in about two minutes. All right, so. So God creates the world, and He creates the world good. That's Genesis one and two. There is no evil. Adam and Eve know Him; they know Him intimately, and they decide that they want to know evil as well. And so Satan says, oh, "You know that knowledge of tree and e- that tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God doesn't want you to eat from. You know, if you eat of that, you'll be just like God. Right now, you know God, you know good, but I, you know there's other things out here that you're going to want." And so Adam and Eve choose. Uh, Not just to know God, but instead to know evil. They eat of that tree. They rebel against God and sin against him. And that happens in Genesis chapter 3. And then from that point forward, now that human beings know God and know evil, we continue down that path of choosing evil to the point where people are thoroughly corrupt and they no longer know God at all. And that happens in Genesis chapter 6, and we see that with the flood And the main verse coming at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, I believe, where it says that God looks down at humanity and sees that the thoughts of their heart are only evil continually. And that's what happens to us apart from God. We are thoroughly worthy of God's judgment. And so instead of completely destroying his creation, God has got a plan to save them. He floods the earth in judgment, but he provides a boat for those who are faithful. And Jesus, eventually, he is the boat, and we'll get to that in a moment. But God doesn't just end the thing. Instead, he's got a plan to redeem and restore this relationship with his creation. And he starts with a uniquely faithful guy named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, in this world where no one knows me now... You have this unique faith, and so I'm going to take you, and I'm going to make you as numerous as the stars. I'm going to give you so many children that they're as numerous as the stars, make a great nation of you. And throughout this relationship that we have, I'm going to begin teaching you who I am and what I'm like so that you can begin to know me once more. And so that's Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. As God picks Abraham... And then as we go beyond Genesis, the rest of the next few books are God teaching them about himself, about what is right and wrong, because we don't even know what is godly and ungodly anymore. We don't even know what love is. We don't even know what God is like. And so he comes and he restores us, begins to restore us by teaching him about himself. And he's doing this in relationship with them for a purpose, because he wants us to know him, because he's coming to us, and he doesn't want us to miss him when he comes, And so he's always had a plan to come, and so he teaches us about him so we can recognize him when he comes. He sends his prophets to tell us when he's coming so that we know when he'll be here, and that is the next books of the Old Testament, the prophetic books. And then he comes in the flesh and saves us. Jesus dies for our sins to pay for all that punishment. And so the story of Joseph fits in right a little bit after here. Joseph is one of Abraham's descendants. The story of Joseph comes as God is looking to multiply the descendants of Abraham, as many as the stars. Joseph comes as God is beginning this relationship of them being his people and and him being their God. And there's a lot of questions as we've been reading through Genesis as we get to this point. As you look at God's plan to save his people and restore the relationship, there's a lot of questions about how this is going to work because there's a lot of family division as we read through. There's Jacob and Esau. There's deception. And you wonder, how are the people of God acting? How is God going to respond to this? How are they going to succeed if there's so much division and ungodliness? There's sin. There's lack of faith. And you see God teaching people who are not in relationship with him, about him, and bringing came into that, and we see those things resolved in the story of Joseph. Instead of division, we see the division repeated. This family's got not just some division, but a generational history of division, and God steps in through the story of Joseph and reconciles that family and changes their future. You might have division in your family, just like God allowed it in Joseph's family because he's got a plan to use Satan's plan to separate you. Instead, he's got a plan to use that to bless your family. We see that in the story of Joseph, God blessing that family. There's sin, there's failure. The people of God sure seem to sin a lot. I can relate to that. I'm sure you can too, and God's got a plan. Why is he allowing this to happen? Why is my spouse going through this? Why am I going through this? Well, God's allowing it, allowing those plans of Satan because he's got a plan to deliver you from that sin, and he's got a plan to use that very thing as a way he does it. We see that in the story of Joseph, and we see provision, the family struggling with provision. There's a famine in the land, and you might be struggling with provision. Why is God allowing this to happen? But God's got a plan to turn the tables on Satan, and we see God advancing his story of salvation and bringing this family together all throughout the story of Joseph. And as we go through that story, God isn't mentioned a whole lot. But it's good to put this in perspective because the whole time you're reading this, the main character isn't Joseph. It's God. He's the one doing this. He's working behind the scenes. And frankly, the family is pretty miserable the whole entire time. And you might be going through that now. But this is why we never give up. This is why we never lose hope. This is why we never stop believing in Jesus. Because if we've ever given up on Jesus too soon, then we've given up too early. He's still working. If you're going through that now, know that God is still working in your family, in your job, in your life. And your life is about God. He might seem like he's not there. I'm sure they thought that he wasn't there, but he is there. He's with you. He's with I when we put our faith in him. And if we're living our life for ourselves, this is why we don't do that. This is why we live our life for God, because He's always there. He's always working to bring about His good plans for our life. Let's begin reading about that. Genesis chapter 37, we'll start in verse 1. It says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. Jacob is Joseph's father, and these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. We just had a little baby girl. She's gorgeous over there. I just love her so much. Hi, sweetheart. Hi, darling. Oh, man, just, just gold, just, just gorgeous. We talked about names from the Bible. Bilhah and Zilpah did not make the list, but this is the name of Joseph's wives, and, uh, or Joseph's uh, mother. Uh. <laughs> Thank you. So, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, Israel loved, so Joseph brings a bad report about his brothers to his father. Now, Israel, another name for Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. And so here we've got generational sin in this family. This dad, he's trying to be a good dad, but it's his sin that's causing this division in this family. He loves one of his children more than the others, and they see that, and so they hate their brother. I've got five kids. I'm just amazed at what they learn from their parents. My, uh, let's see, I think I got a picture of him. He's my middle boy. Do I have it up there? There he is. We'll go back to the other ones. There's Joe uh, there's JoJo Joseph, says, my middle boy, he's four years old, and he's an athlete. That kid loves to play basketball, baseball, run, jump, swim. And so we'd be playing catch, And, you know, he's only like that tall. And we're playing catch, and pretty soon, you know, it's just natural for me to be, you know, go like this after a few seconds because he's down so low. And the interesting thing is, is what he sees me do, he does. And so we play catch, and as soon as I go like this, what does he do? Well, he goes down like that. Now I got a target like that big to hit. And my daughter, she's two years old. She's just the light of my life. She's just my joy. I'll be, She's learning a potty train, and I'll be going to the bathroom, and, and for whatever reason, she, she likes to be in there. And I'll be done going to the bathroom, and I'll go to flush it, and she sees me going to flush it, and she wants to flush it, and so she'll grab the handle with her hand. And there's not much room left on that handle, and so I'll, she can't flush it. She's not strong enough, so I'll put my little finger on that handle to help her out, and she does what I do. And so I put my finger on the handle, and she lets go, and she puts her finger on the handle. <laughs> Well, that must be how we do it. We do it with one finger. And they just see, and they watch, and they learn. And Jacob, he's trying to be a good father. But what's he doing? It's terrible things. He's dividing his family with his sin. And where did he learn it? Well, he learned it from Dad. His father, when Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so Jacob, Israel, his family... The father of Joseph in this story, his family was divided. His mother loved somebody more than the other. His father loved somebody more than the other. And so he repeats it. And there's more to that. The brothers hate Joseph. Where did they learn that kind of hate? Well, they learned it from their grandparents. They learned it from their parents. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb but Rachel was barren. His father loved one of his wives and hated the other. There's hate in that family, among the family, and so what do we do? The brothers, what do we do when something happens in our family? Well, we hate. And that's what they learn. And God has got a plan to take all these sins, all this evil, and instead use it to bring the family closer together as we sit in our family and we go through these things, God has got a plan to use that to make our families whole. This is what God is going to do in this family. Let's begin, continue reading in Genesis chapter 37, verse 5 through 11. It says, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. "'Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. "'And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. "'And behold, your sheaves gather around it "'and bow down to my sheaf.' "'His brothers said to him, "'Are you indeed to reign over us? "'Or are you indeed to rule over us?' "'And so they hated him even more "'for his dreams and for his words. "'And he dreamed another dream "'and told it to his brothers and said, "'Behold, I have dreamed another dream. "'Behold, the sun, the moon, the eleven stars "'were bowing down to me.' And when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. You know, we had to do something the other day, and I I came up with a great plan to do it, and I explained it to Sarah, and I said, Here's what we're going to do, darling. We're going to do this, we're going to do that, and then after that, we're going to do this. And she said, Well, I was thinking we could do it a different way. She said, I think we could do this and that, and then we could do this. And I thought to myself, That's a better plan than mine. <laughs> and you know what I, I thought about that better plan? I hated that better plan. Because you know what I like more than a good plan? I like my plan. We have a problem with rebellion. We have a problem with authority, Just about everyone does. And so much of the Bible is about submitting to authority. And I think, why? Why? You know, in the letter of First Peter, First Peter writes to the church, he says, honor the emperor. The emperor at the time was burning Christians alive in his backyard at night, using them as candles to light up his backyard as he had parties, Because he hated Christians that much. And 1 Peter, Peter tells us to honor that man. Honor that leader. Why? Here, God has revealed to them who they should be following. Joseph's the one that's got the plan. Joseph is God's anointed leader for this family. And they look at him. What a wonderful blessing to have. Wouldn't you love to have direction like that in your life? Well, if God gave it to you, probably hate it just like they did. They see that and they think, not a chance. Follow God's leader? Never. want to do it the way I want to do it. And God is going to break them of this in their life. Why does God and the Bible, why is so much of it about following authority? Well, it's because if we can follow that emperor, if we can follow this president, if we can follow that governor, all imperfect leaders if we can follow them and learn to submit to their authority, then we will love Jesus because he's perfect. He is our authority. He's got authority over every breath we take, over every second of our lives. And if we can learn to submit ourselves to him or to, to these leaders, we will be able to easily submit ourselves to him. There will be moments where Jesus disagrees with us, where we read the word and we think, that doesn't sound right. And that's why Jesus wants us to learn to submit to authority. Because he's right and we're not. And if we can submit to our parents, our elders, our pastor, our president, our governor, if we can do those things, and we'll easily be able to submit to Jesus Christ. Now when those leaders ask us to do ungodly things, we don't do that, we follow God. I don't know about you, but this is my last year of looking at this and saying, submit to that. never. And then thinking, well, wait. God wants me to submit to authority. Is what they're asking ungodly? And it might be. Or is it unbiblical? And then figuring that out and realizing I need to submit to authority where it is not ungodly. And God has got a plan to do this with his brothers, to bring them to a point where they can submit to him because the Lord has told them who to follow. And not only they're not following Joseph, they're not following God either. God's got a plan to use all of this. Satan's got a plan to use that rebellion to separate them from God, separate them from their family. But God is going to turn the tables on all of that as well. And in Genesis chapter 37, verse 12, it says, Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering the fields, and the man asked him, where, What are you seeking? And Joseph said, I am seeking my brothers. And he said, Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I, have, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and i where will I go? And then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol, to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And meanwhile the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. And so, you know, I named my middle boy, we call him Jojo, his name is Joseph. And I named my son Joseph because of the character in the Scripture, who's amazing. I named him both after the Old Testament character and the father of Jesus. Both of them are just fantastic characters. There's hardly any characters in the Bible whose stories are presented without their sin, without them sinning in some major way. Now, Joseph certainly had sin, but we don't read any about it because none of it comes out. He is such a righteous man all throughout the story. He's just following the Lord. It's inspirational. That is fantastic, and God sees that faithfulness of Joseph, and he honors that faithfulness in many ways. You might be familiar with this story. Spoiler alert, we're going to go through it in the coming weeks, but what happens to Joseph is that he's sold into slavery through no fault of his own. God intended him to, to be a leader. His followers rebelled. You might be going through that at work or something right now, right? Through no fault of his own, they rebelled. He's sent into slavery, And yet God blesses him and allows him to prosper, and he goes from being a slave to being one of the main leaders and trusted people throughout the most powerful nation in the world at that time, Egypt. And then someone comes and they lie against him, they gossip about him, the, the man who's at the top, the Pharaoh, he sends him to jail, believes the gossiper and the liar. And Joseph, through no fault of his own experience, this is another time of crushing defeat in his life. But God sees his faithfulness. And it doesn't matter whether Joseph is in the palace or in the prison, he's always following God, and God's always blessing him, bringing him back to the top. And it's hard and it's difficult, but God is always taking the plans that other people mean to destroy Joseph and turning it around and using those plans to instead bless Joseph and bless the world. It's an amazing story. That's an inspirational story. But you know what? I can't relate to Joseph because I'm not like him. You know, I want my boy to be like Joseph, but, you know, instead he's more like me. And I've got sin, and I fail. And what really inspires me is a story. It's because it's not just righteous Joseph who's receiving the blessings who's God's got a plan for. It's not just him. It's his brothers. It's his brothers. What a good and merciful God. You might be sitting there thinking, oh, this happened to me, or I made that, this, somebody did this to me, or oh, I did this, how can God ever forgive me and, and bring good? How can I make up for that? Well, you can't, and I can't. I need a God who's big enough to make up for all that for me. I need a God who's gonna be merciful to me and good to me. And when I read a story about how he's merciful and good to these brothers, right? They're terrible brothers. They say, let's kill them. Follow them, forget it, let's kill them. And they come up with a plan to kill them. And one of the brothers is like, Man, these are these guys you can't reason with these people. They're nuts. I'm gonna we'll put them in a pit. And he plans on saving them later. But the other brother is so evil he says, you know what? What good is in it for us? Kill them? I don't care. Kill them if you want. Hey, I got a better idea. Let's sell them. That'll even be better for us. And you see God throughout this story using even the brother's sin and their failure to bring about blessings not only for Joseph but for them and the world and that's a God that I need to follow because when I I try to be a good parent but when I'm a bad parent my kids are learning that from me I can't go take it back I can't change the past what do I do now? I'm impatient with my wife. I yell at one of my kids. Pretty soon, next time, I see they're not following my wife. They're impatient with her. They're yelling at each other. I can't put that back in the bottle. I need a God who's big enough to take all of that and work it for my family's good. Like Romans chapter 6 says, like, what then do we do? Continue in sin? No, we repent we try to follow the Lord. It's not good that we sin. But if we believe in him, certainly we don't sin so that his grace may abound. We try not to sin, we repent, but we have got a God who's so good when we put our faith and trust in him, he will take even our sin and use that for our family's good and for the good of the world. The sin that Satan means to separate us, to destroy us, God will take even that and turn the tables on it. I know, it sounds crazy, If you're sitting there thinking, how is that theologically accurate? We've got a merciful God. That's how it's theologically accurate. And we're going to go through and we're going to see how God does that for the brothers in this chapter. And that's a God that I want to worship. And that's a God that I never want to give up following because he's always there to clean up after me and to take the times that I rebel against even him and use that. And redeem that, because I can't do that, but he can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go through life and we say, why are you allowing this? Or why am I struggling with this? Why has this happened to me? God, if we have unresolved issues, unresolved things that we're wondering, where are you? Where were you? When will you help? When will you deliver us? God, I pray that you'd bless us to know that you are working in the background constantly, that you're never giving up on us, and that if we put our faith and trust in you, we will see you bring all of those things to godly resolution. We will see you take those plans that Satan has set up in our lives and instead turn them back on him and use them for our salvation, for our deliverance, and for good. God, if we're struggling with things right now, Lord, I pray that you'd bless us, that we can put our faith in you, the God who is big enough, the only one who's big enough and strong enough to take those great evil things that we experience and instead turn them into ultimate good for us, for the ones we love, and for others. Lord, I thank you for being a God who's that big, that strong, and that merciful. And Lord, give us the faith to believe it, even in the darkest moments of our lives. Lord, give us the faith to believe it, even in the greatest struggles that we experience, Lord, that we can keep the faith, that we can keep our trust in you, and that we can see you working. Lord, we put all those situations into your hands, and we trust you to fix them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.